This is the Sports Psychology Hour with Dr. Andrew Jacobs. I cannot express the gratitude what my son came and visited you. Dr. Jacobs has been in practice for 39 years as a sports psychologist. I have seen a change in youth sports in the last 10, 15 years. I've talked about it a lot on this show. The Sports Psychology Hour. The best advice on the radio each and every week. Failure and losing and screwing up is something that happens in life. It happens in sports. And I think we have to teach kids how to do that more effectively. This is where sports talk gets real. That word playing, it's gone from our society in a lot of ways with kids. And now here's your host, Dr. Andrew Jacobs. Good morning, everyone. I am sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs, and welcome to our show, the Sports Psychology Hour, from our flagship station, Sports Radio 810 WHB in Kansas City. I'm here every week talking about the mental side of sports. We talk about all kinds of topics on this show and get into discussions with you about confidence, about focus, team building, positive or negative attitudes, mental preparation, sportsmanship, relationships. And because life has changed so much in the last six months, we also talk about life on this show, not just in sports, but in relationship to just everyday life. I've been in practice in my now 40th year of work as a psychologist, specifically as a sports psychologist in the Kansas City area. I talk with athletes all over the country consult with teams and do this show every week. I love doing this show because we talk about a variety of things on here and and get into discussions with you about your mindset. Co-authored a book three years ago, I guess now four years ago now, with Jeff Montgomery, Kansas City Royals Hall of Famer, and Pete Malone, Kansas City Blazers head coach for 40 years, coach of five Olympic gold medals, five gold medals in the Olympics. Coached over 10,000 kids, including my youngest son, and Jeff also coached my older son when he played baseball, which is why I had them both join me in writing the book because of my respect for both of them. One of the chapters in our book is about a coach's role. And the more and more I talk with young people, I work with lots of teenagers and young adults, professional athletes, college athletes, Olympic athletes, And the more and more I talk with them, the more and more I find how important of a role a coach plays in kids' lives. This past week was Mental Health Awareness Week. And a lot of you may not have even known that. But it was. And when we talk about mental health, excuse me, we talk about how you feel how you're doing, how you're handling things. And there's so many topics that come up with mental health. As a psychologist, of course, I deal with that. There's things like anxiety, depression, PTSD, addictions, psychosis, eating disorders, bipolar disorder. There's so many different things that affect people. If you've listened to our show, and it's, it's funny, I, I did a garage sale the last couple of days trying to downsize a lot of things out of my house, and a number of people came by, said they listened to the show, 
which was very nice of them. Once they, we started talking about things. And one, of the, one gentleman and his wife, we, we got into a discussion. He said, do you ever talk about the role coaches play? I said, yeah, all the time. He says, he, he was probably in his 40s, maybe 50 years old. He said, you know, because my high school football coach <clears throat> left a big impression on me. I said, what kind of impression? He goes, pretty bad. He goes, I probably had a chance to play and move on to play in college, but he ruined it for me. I said, how did he ruin it for you? He kept yelling at me, criticizing me, telling me how bad I was. I'd never make it. I was never any good. He stopped playing me, even though a lot of people said I was the best player at my position. What position to play? He said I was a running back. Finally, I just quit, gave up. I just didn't want to do it anymore. To this day, I regret it. You know, the role a coach has in, our, in your life the role a teacher has, for that matter. Teachers are coaches. Coaching you in education. Could be your debate coach. Could be the band instructor. I'll play a role. And being that this has been Mental Health Week, Awareness Week this past week, I'd like to get into this topic today. What roles have the coaches you've had played in your lives? And I'd like to get some calls in here today. Shows broadcast around the country, several cities, the following weekend. I know it's early in the day here in Kansas City when we do this show, but I'd like to hear from you. If you have played sports, what kind of a role did your coach play in your life, positively or negatively? And how has that influenced you as you've moved on? I've shared on this show many times. I grew up playing tennis. My coach was a man named John Bragan. Founded KC Racket Club here in Kansas City. Ran it with his family for years. He had a big impact on my life. As did my high school coach, Tom Coker. Shawnee Mission North High School. Proud to say I was in the 50th graduating class. And Mr. Bragan taught me tennis. After he took over teaching for Merle Buckholtz, one of the great tennis pros in the country who would come from St. Louis to Ponca City in Kansas City every week to a rotation teaching. Mr. Bragan took over for him. And he taught me a lot about tennis, but he also taught me about manners on the court, respecting your opponents. You know, tennis is, is a sport where you're supposed to be gentlemanly, although Novak Djokovic needs to learn that since he's hit now two linesmen with balls in the last month. By accident, but still, he's hit them. He's got a temper issue, obviously, he's got to work on. But I think coaches play such a huge role and have such a big impact on our lives. So I'd like to hear from you. If, if you played sports or are playing sports now or you're a parent and you have a son or daughter playing sports now, what kind of a role has your coach played on you or your son or daughter? And if you're a coach and you could be a band instructor, a debate coach, and a teacher at school, you're coaching – what kind of a role do you feel you play with kids? How do you influence them? How do you help them? And also, maybe if you'd like to share a story with us where maybe you screwed up and you learn from that. I'd love to hear from you if you're a coach, if you're a parent, if you're an athlete. Coaches' roles in our lives are very significant. And I think in a positive way, 
I always say <clears throat> a good coach is a good psychologist. A bad coach is a sport needs a sports psychologist. And you look around at coaches at the collegiate professional level, the Olympic level, and you hear stories from so many athletes about the role a coach plays in their life. Obviously, here in Kansas City, we have a football team that's pretty good, being the Chiefs. As of the airing of this show, they're undefeated 4-0. Super Bowl champions from last year. One of the top players in all football, Patrick Mahomes, obviously the league MVP two years ago, Super Bowl MVP. But he credits his dad, his mom, and he credits Andy Reid for helping him, as well as the other coaches, Eric Bannemi, the offensive coordinator, helping him learn to deal with all the things he's dealing with as a player. And so I think the role a coach plays is very significant in a positive way. Yet at the same time, throughout my 40 years of work, I've heard so many stories from so many athletes about things coaches have said to athletes. And it's not coaching. It's it's criticizing. It's, deb- it's debilitating comments. It's insults. It's degrading things. Oftentimes because I think their egos are sensitive. You know, my definition of winning, and, and, and listen, I like to come in first place in everything I do, but it's not going to happen. My definition of winning is going out and doing the best you can that day. Does it mean you're going to come in first place? No. But if you put the effort in and you tried, yeah, maybe you'll be disappointed. Maybe your coach will be disappointed, but he's also, he or she will also know you put in the effort. Because we're not going to win all the time. Our society today has so many awful things going on. The negativity with the political races, the racial tensions, all the, all the things going on right now have caused so much anxiety and stress in our lives. So I think having a support system is important, and that's where I think coaches and teachers can do that. Well, I'd like to hear from you. If you're a coach, you're an athlete, you're a teacher, you're a parent, give me a call. Let's talk about the role a coach plays in your life. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. I'm Dr. Andrew Jacobs. As a sports psychologist with 38 years of experience, I've worked with athletes, coaches, parents, and officials, assisting them at learning how to handle issues like sportsmanship, self-confidence, developing a positive realistic attitude, and achieving maximum performance. I want more people to know about the importance of having fun, learning from failure, and that winning is about doing your best. That's why I created the Sportsmanship Foundation, a 501c3 educational organization dedicated to promoting and educating parents and athletes about the role of good sportsmanship in our development, our priority is to help bring back the fun into youth sports. If you're interested in learning more or making a donation, go to winnersunlimited.com radio. That's winnersunlimited.com radio. Doing your best, having fun, and becoming a winner. The Sportsmanship Foundation at winnersunlimited.com radio. America, your children have an amazing superpower. They can help save lives by not having playdates. That's right. By replacing get-togethers with virtual playdates and video chats, they can help slow the evil spread of germs. 
And if your superheroes do go outside, make sure they continue their superhero wing by staying six feet away from others to protect everyone in America land. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Let's be honest. The National Symphony may not be in his future, but he wanted to try violin. So you said yes because you love him. And if you love him that much, love him enough to make sure he's buckled up and in the back seat. Find out more about keeping your kids safe in your vehicle at nhtsa.gov slash the right seat. Show them you love them. Keep them safe. Visit nhtsa.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Hey, Dad, how do airplanes fly? What's in this box? Can I touch this? Where does sand come from? Is this tree good for climbing? What happens if I mix these two things together? How are babies made? What does this thing do? Kids are curious about everything, including guns. Talking to them about gun safety in your home is a good first step, but you can do more. Always keep your guns locked, unloaded, and stored separately from ammunition. Storing your guns securely is the best way to prevent family fire, including unintentional shootings. For more information on safe gun storage and ways to keep your family safe, visit endfamilyfire.org. That's endfamilyfire.org. What do we keep in the attic? What's this thing called? Can I ride my bike backwards? Like I said, kids are curious. It's up to us to keep them safe. Brought to you by End Family Fire, Brady, and the Ad Council. Olivia, from Washington. Laid off and trying to keep our little kids from realizing that mommy and daddy haven't eaten in a while. Roger, from California. I'm grateful we could afford our son's surgery. I'm nervous that now we can't really afford food. Daniel, from California. Choosing whether to pay the rent or pay to fix the car to get to work doesn't leave us with much at all. Now we can't even pay for meals. Donna from Louisiana. The storm just hit, and we went from donating to the food bank to needing it. Keisha from South Carolina. I've been skipping meals so my two kids can eat, but filling up on water doesn't really work. Hunger is a story we can end. End it at feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. Hello again, everyone. I am sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. You're having a great morning. Our topic today is the role a coach plays in your life. And being that we've just completed Mental Health Awareness Week, I think it's time, uh, appropriate timing to talk about this because I think coaches play such a significant psychological role in people, not just kids, but people's lives. And I'd like to hear from you. If you're an athlete and you've played sports, what kind of an impact did your coach have on you, positively or negatively? And how did that affect you in your, not just your sports performance, but your life as well? If you're a coach and you'd like to share with us the impacts you've had on kids, I'd love to hear. You know, on this show, I've, I've interviewed dozens and dozens of coaches over the years. And it's been real interesting the things that they've shared with us about 
after they've retired how they feel about the way they coach. Love to hear from you. If you're a parent, what kind of a role do coaches play in your kids and how did you feel about it? As I mentioned at the top of the show, I'm a co-author of a book with Jeff Montgomery and Pete Malone, Just Let Them Play, Guiding Parents, Coaches, and Athletes for Youth Sports. We have a chapter in here about the coach's role. And I wanted to read a couple things out of it. One of the things throughout our book, all three of us have little columns where we'll make comments on the topic of that chapter. And in the coach's role, one of the things Jeff said, he calls it Monty's Moments. The biggest thing for me as a coach was feeling responsible for making it a positive experience for the players. There wasn't a lot of turnover in players because it was only about five years, but also we created a good environment. For instance, I tried to create a situation where the players were always doing something in practice. If you're not doing something, especially in baseball, boredom can set in quickly. Then we'd always have a simulated game. For that, I'd always pick two captains, which motivates the players to see where they stand and creates competition. We spent so much more time practicing than playing games. You can be a better coach in practice than you can in a game. The games were a stage to see how well we learned the fundamentals. I was always adamant about not teaching during a game. It's one of the reasons I asked Jeff to co-write this book because he got it, he understood it. And for Pete, the same thing. Pete talks about guidelines that he saw. First was communication, having a schedule, and third, having a purpose. I think if you really sit and think about it, as we grow up and as we develop as people, we're influenced by so many people, our teachers and the coaches. Of course, this is a sports psychology show, so we're talking about coaches, but you know, teachers, the same thing. But what role did your coach play in your life? When you made a mistake, when you screwed up, when you failed, when you didn't succeed in your athletic endeavor, how was that handled? Were you yelled at and screamed at and degraded and insulted or were you supported where you said, all right, we're going to talk about it in practice. We're going to work on this in practice and try to figure out what went wrong. And what kind of an impact, you know, confidence. And I talk about confidence all the time on this show. Confidence to me is that ability to believe in yourself and your skills and your abilities. Some coaches teach confidence in a positive way. Some destroy it really easily. I think because their egos get in the way. So as an athlete, where did that affect you? How did that affect you? All right, Blake, I want you to get into this conversation because you played football all the way through college. And I want you to share with us a story about a situation you had at some point where you had a coach who maybe left a, a negative taste in your mouth. Okay, you're smiling as I'm answering you, asking you that question. Because I have a feeling that's going to stimulate some calls here because I know this has happened to a lot of people. Yeah, and I think I, we've actually, believe it or not, I think we've talked about the certain story that I have in mind um, before. So I'm not going to rehash that one. I'll, I'll touch on it briefly. Basically, one time I had a coach who, um, to this day, I still, I actually, believe it or not, it didn't ruin our relationship, but it definitely tainted the relationship for... Probably, I mean, probably forever. I mean, we're we're still friendly today, but it, it wasn't. It's not the same as it used to be. But basically, I had a coach at one point um, uh, get mad during a big. It was a big game, and there was a miscommunication on the sideline between a coach who was who did not re relay the proper message to me. Um, 
and and this isn't me trying to brush off, uh, you know, taking taking fault in in my own mistake. You know, I'm I'll be the first one to own up when it was my mistake. This was not one of those times. There was a um, basically there was a personnel that was supposed to be out on the field. It had it had not been properly relayed to the people on the sideline. So so um, when I had asked a question, I didn't get the answer in return. So I was not out on the field. Because I had multiple different jobs at the time. I was supposed to also be getting ready for punt team, and this was a third down play. And so I, I was supposed to be in two different places at once, basically. So uh, when I got out there, uh, didn't know the play. The play then, as the play clock was winding down, wasn't relayed to me. Come back to the sideline. We we didn't end up, um, the play was unsuccessful. Get back to the sideline. Well, I definitely got a butt chewing, and I was trying to, you know, give my side of the story. I was like, Hey, you know, I, I wasn't even told. And then I got out there and nobody even told me to play. So, uh, the coach, and it was a, it was a high, high intense moment in the game. And he, in my, uh, you know, he, he, he struck me in the helmet and it with wasn't what with his hand. And it wasn't a, just an, just a normal, like rap. It wasn't, on it wasn't a love tap. Yeah. And so, and like I said, I, I played football throughout college. Okay, I, okay, hold on. How long ago was this? This was back in in this was uh, this was quite a while ago. This was a long time ago. Like when I was a six, kid. seven, eight years. How many years ago? Uh, yeah, probably about nine years ago. Okay, because probably. because you realized that now would be considered physical abuse. Yeah, getting hit by a coach. This was back in the the what they would claim the good old days. Well, so. right. Well, <laughs> you're, you're not that old. Okay, no, but that would that would you don't you don't hit. You don't hit an athlete. Yeah, it, it was enough to to where I immediately was. I know the difference between a reprimanding on the field in the game of football and something that I thought clearly crossed the line between so, a coach so, and a player. Okay, so how did you react to that? Uh, I was heated. <clears throat> Excuse me, I was pretty heated. Um, and so, but and honestly, I was so shocked that I didn't really know what to do. And so, did you ever confront that coach about it afterwards? Yes, I did. Good for you. Um, when I, I went to another coach that I had a very good relationship with, and I told him the story, and I said, "Hey, you know, I felt extremely uncomfortable with what transpired, and I don't know during what to the do game about or it. after. This was after the game, okay? And I, I said, I, you know, I'm, I'm not really sure how to approach this. And so he said, you know what? Maybe you should go talk to him directly and let him know. And so I went and talked to that coach directly. Well, good for you, and, and, and that doesn't surprise me as I've gotten to know you because you have a high level of self-confidence about things like that. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. I'm Dr. Andrew Jacobs. As a sports psychologist... With 38 years of experience, I've worked with athletes, coaches, parents, and officials, assisting them at learning how to handle issues like sportsmanship, self-confidence, developing a positive, realistic attitude, and achieving maximum performance. I want more people to know about the importance of having fun, learning from failure, and that winning is about doing your best. That's why I created the Sportsmanship Foundation, a 501c3 educational organization dedicated to promoting and educating parents and athletes about the role of good sportsmanship in our development. Our priority is to help bring back the fun into youth sports. 
If you're interested in learning more or making a donation, go to winnersunlimited.com slash radio. That's winnersunlimited.com slash radio. Doing your best, having fun, and becoming a winner. The Sportsmanship Foundation at winnersunlimited.com slash radio. One in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has pre-diabetes, with early diagnosis, pre-diabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has pre-diabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. America, your children have an amazing superpower. They can help save lives by not having playdates. That's right. By replacing get-togethers with virtual playdates and video chats, they can help slow the evil spread of germs. And if your superheroes do go outside, make sure they continue their superhero wing by staying six feet away from others to protect everyone in America land. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Let's be honest. The National Symphony may not be in his future, but he wanted to try violin. So you said yes because you love him. And if you love him that much, love him enough to make sure he's buckled up and in the back seat. Find out more about keeping your kids safe in your vehicle at nhtsa.gov slash the right seat. Show them you love them. Keep them safe. Visit nhtsa.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Hey, Dad, how do airplanes fly? What's in this box? Can I touch this? Where does sand come from? Is this tree good for climbing? What happens if I mix these two things together? How are babies made? What does this thing do? Kids are curious about everything, including guns. Talking to them about gun safety in your home is a good first step, but you can do more. Always keep your guns locked, unloaded, and stored separately from ammunition. Storing your guns securely is the best way to prevent family fire, including unintentional shootings. For more information on safe gun storage and ways to keep your family safe, visit endfamilyfire.org. That's endfamilyfire.org. What do we keep in the attic? What's this thing called? Can I ride my bike backwards? Like I said, kids are curious. It's up to us to keep them safe. Brought to you by N Family Fire, Brady, and the Ad Council. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. Good morning, everyone. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour from a flagship station, Sports Radio. 810 WHB in Kansas City. I'm here every week. Today's topic is this. The role a coach plays in your life. Uh, we just completed Mental Health Awareness Week, which to me is, as a sports psychologist, in 40 years of work, that's obviously something I'm very uh, sensitive to. Mental health, your mental health, how you feel, how you handle things. 
And it's important to talk about these things because I try to address it on this show. And today I'm talking about the role your coach plays, a, a coach plays in your life, positively or negatively. And I'd love to hear from you. Our phone number is 913-3810-810. I'd like to hear from you if you're a coach, if you're an athlete, if you're a parent, if you're an official. How do coaches impact you positively or negatively? Let's go to the phones and let's talk to Becky. Becky, good morning. How are you? Hey, good morning, Dr. Jacobs. How are you? Great. Thank you for calling. Uh, you're welcome. I listen to your show often. I have a son who recently uh, graduated from college, uh, had a Division I scholarship, but I want to talk about uh, something you were talking about and the contrast then between his high school coach and his college coach and how the coaches instilled or degraded confidence in their players. I, I think that's a really important point. In high school, his high school coach took a, a not-as-talented team and won back-to-back state championships because that coach knew how to get the most out of his players with positive reinforcement and encouragement. Um, in college, he had one of the most talented defenses in the nation, and uh, they played rarely played up to their level, and it was because the coach was a bit of an egomaniac, and uh, it was his way or the highway, and uh, he was uh, approached each player in a very negative way. And it was easy to see that he was not getting the most out of his players and that he wasn't achieving a consistent level of performance because of his attitude. They they actually, as a group, took offense to it. So uh, it was very clear that, you know, the positive way of coaching and reinforcing, um, you know, positive performance by recognizing the good that players do got a lot more out of the players than... You know, uh, I don't think he, he, in college, ever complimented any of his players or ever rewarded any of his players. It was it was basically negative. So what kind of an impact did both of these gentlemen have on your son? Uh, his high school coach, who has since passed away uh, from cancer, um, is one of his heroes. Um, he speaks of him with reverence. And uh, he made a tremendous impact on my son's life. Uh, his college coach, um, you know, has a quasi-relationship still with him, the defensive coordinator, um, you know, but was never really close to him, never never really uh, connected with him. And uh, there was a huge difference in the relationship and a, a huge difference in my son's attitude towards playing. Did you as a parent get involved in either of these scenarios? Um, I I didn't because I mean it was a Division One college football program. I, I was and, and of, you're a mom you know, and you're a mom and the last thing your a mom's going to do is start talking to the the, the V1 yeah, football coach. Yeah, exactly. I, I I didn't want to embarrass my son on a high school level. You know, I was very involved with the football program, and you know, uh, in fact, what struck me is this coach. You know, they had already won. Um, uh, a number of playoff games. He approached me. My son was playing linebacker and played both ways, linebacker and fullback. Um, he approached me and asked me if he could move my son from fullback to offensive line. That's the kind of guy he was. He knew my son was being looked at by colleges. He knew that um, he would either play H-back or linebacker in, in college. And he asked for my permission to move him to offensive line because at the time, their high school quarterback 
was number one in the nation, turned out to be the Gatorade Player of the Year, and went on uh, to play pro. Um, what you what you say? What did you say when he asked you that? Um, I gave him a hard time, but I said, "Yeah, of course, for the team, right? It's a, it's all about the team, and that's the way I raised my son. So, you know, regardless of single pa- single parent, was, yeah, okay." Uh-huh. So it was all about the team, you know, whatever the team needed. You win as a team, you lose as a team. So, you know, I was like, whatever you need, coach, and my son will be happy to play wherever you need him. And so, so Becky, let me, first of all, I want to congratulate you on, on how you handle that. So what would you suggest to a parent in terms of what I'm bringing up here? When you have you have a son or daughter who has a coach, like Blake was mentioning earlier, uh He's playing high school football, and the coach slapped him on the helmet. Okay, if you're, you know, hit him hard because he's screwed up on the field, and it ends up it wasn't even his fault. But if you're a parent seeing that happen today, what would you do? I think the real uh, difference that you talk about is happening today. When it happened, as you pointed out, when Blake had it happen, that was part of the norm, right? I was an athlete as well. That was part of the norm. Well, I, I don't, excuse me. I, I don't. I don't. I don't. I wouldn't say it was part of the norm. And people did it. I. It, some people accepted it. But, but it, nonetheless, if you, as a parent, though, even even then, though, if well, you saw that, what would you do? How would that make you feel that your son or daughter gets hit by a coach? Um. Well, um, you know, obviously, I, I have a little mixed feelings about that. One is the fact that I don't want anybody hitting my son. And I don't feel that you have to convey what you're trying to convey or communicate to an athlete by physical abuse or by hitting them. Um, There are other more effective and efficient ways to communicate. And then as a parent who doesn't like to overstep her bounds, it would be really hard for me to cross that boundary and say something to that coach. Different on the high school level than on the football, the college level. I, I felt totally comfortable talking and confronting any coach um, up until the point when he went to college. It's more of a business. And, you know, I think I was concerned more about embarrassing my son, you know. Um, right. And, 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 and excuse me. And, and I think you, it sounds like you handled that right. But I, I, I know of situations, for example, Several years ago, I had a high school basketball player, a very, very good high school basketball player, who's being looked at by a number of colleges as a point guard. He had a practice where he threw the ball to where the small forward was supposed to cut. The forward went the opposite direction. The ball got thrown out of bounds. They then huddled up. As they're huddling up, he got drilled in the back of his head by the basketball by the assistant coach, who then cursed him out. Mm-hmm. That young man, he, he ended up getting headaches from that, severe headaches. He left practice, called his parents. His parents came and picked him up, and he ended up transferring schools. They wanted to sue this this man for doing what he did. And this this is about six years ago. So, of course, you know, yeah. I, I you don't to me. I mean, I don't care that this stuff was accepted before. It's wrong. You don't hit an athlete. You don't you don't physically do that. So, if if as a parent, you feel then you should take action is what you're saying when that happens. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I don't want anybody hitting my son. And furthermore, you know, because, you know, I'm in that field of communication, there are more effective ways to communicate. And really, um, you know, it's frustrating for me watching coaches who don't know how to communicate. Um, I, I think that's a vital part of coaching. 
Well, Becky, and, I wanna, uh, yeah, you, you, you have hit it on the head. We have to go to our break here in a moment. I want to thank you for your call and, you know, sharing what you did. And, and it sounds like you, you've handled this well. And congratulations on ra- ra- raising your son, you know, as a single parent. Sounds like you've done a great job. So I really appreciate thanks, your call. Thanks. thanks to you for all your work. And congratulations on your 40 years. Oh, well, thank you very much. Stay well. Thanks for your call. Take care. Okay. Bye bye. You know, that was a great call. Here's the deal. As a coach, a coach's role is so significant in how you deal with success and failure. I think we, we, we teach, as coaches, we teach so many things to kids and young people. So I'd like to hear from you. That's a great call. I'd like to get another call in here or two before the show ends. Plenty of time left. If you're a coach, I'd like to hear from you. If you're a coach, how do you handle success and failure? What do you say to the kids when they screw up? How much of a role do you have in their lives? Our number is 913-3810-810. If you're a parent like Becky, I'd like to hear from you. If you're an athlete, what kind of a role did your coach play in your life, positively or negatively, and how has that impacted you as you've moved on? On Sports Psychologist, Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. I'm Dr. Andrew Jacobs. As a sports psychologist with 38 years of experience, I've worked with athletes, coaches, parents, and officials, assisting them at learning how to handle issues like sportsmanship, self-confidence, developing a positive realistic attitude, and achieving maximum performance. I want more people to know about the importance of having fun, learning from failure, and that winning is about doing your best. That's why I created the Sportsmanship Foundation, a 501c3 educational organization dedicated to promoting and educating parents and athletes about the role of good sportsmanship in our development, our priorities to help bring back the fun into youth sports. If you're interested in learning more or making a donation, go to winnersunlimited.com radio. That's winnersunlimited.com radio. Doing your best, having fun, and becoming a winner. The Sportsmanship Foundation at winnersunlimited.com radio. One in three adults has prediabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has prediabetes, with early diagnosis, prediabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has prediabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. (gasps) Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or my karaoke anime Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. Hey, Dad, how do airplanes fly? What's in this box? Can I touch this? Where does sand come from? Is this tree good for climbing? What happens if I mix these two things together? How are babies made? What does this thing do? Kids are curious about everything, including guns. 
Talking to them about gun safety in your home is a good first step, but you can do more. Always keep your guns locked, unloaded, and stored separately from ammunition. Storing your guns securely is the best way to prevent family fire, including unintentional shootings. For more information on safe gun storage and ways to keep your family safe, visit endfamilyfire.org. That's endfamilyfire.org. What do we keep in the attic? What's this thing called? Can I ride my bike backwards? Like I said, kids are curious. It's up to us to keep them safe. Brought to you by N Family Fire, Brady, and the Ad Council. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. Good morning, everyone. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour from our flagship station, Sports Radio 810 WHB in Kansas City. I'm talking today about the role coach plays in your life. Being that this past week has been Mental Health Awareness Week in our country, and with, with all the angst and stress and tension going on, I thought it'd be a good talk about how a coach can help you or maybe harm you in a way. We had a great call from Becky, and I'd still like to hear from you. If you're a parent, what role has your coach played in your son or daughter's life? If you're a coach, what kind of a role do you feel you play in young people's lives? How have you helped them? Or maybe if you screwed up before, how'd you screw up? How'd you learn from that? You know, one of the greatest basketball coaches in Kansas City, a guy named Bud Lathrop, who's no longer with us, was has been on the show. Bud came on, came in a couple times and actually called up a bunch. And a lot of people loved Bud Lathrop. A lot of people didn't like him because he paddled kids back years and years ago. But a lot of those kids, who are now men, called up and said that he taught them a lot because he taught them respect, he taught them good sportsmanship. A lot of people didn't like that, but he used it as a teaching tool. Now, Bud came on about a year before he passed away and said, you know, I probably shouldn't have done that at the time, and I learned from it, but I was trying to instill in these kids respect. And maybe that today isn't the way to do it, but back at that time it was accepted. He said, however... I had rules and guidelines and kids needed to follow them. So what are some of the qualities of a great coach? In our book, Just Let Him Play, we have a whole chapter about it. I want to read some of these things. Great coaches are first educators and mentors of the athletes they work with. They're concerned about each player as an individual. They'll have high expectations for each player, oftentimes higher expectations than the parent has for the athlete or what the athlete may have for him or herself. They love working with their athletes. They plan practices and then work to improve each one. After each competition, they'll wrestle over the decisions they made before and during the competition in order to improve for the future. They're a mentor, a guide, a big brother, a big sister, a counselor. They want to push athletes out of their comfort zone to help them grow. They expect the athletes to follow the rules. They can offer an honest and constructive evaluation of both the player and themselves. They're willing to discipline an athlete even if it means losing a game if they're not doing things correctly. They know they can always improve their coaching techniques. They're willing to adapt their style to the personalities they have on their team. They want to learn from other great coaches. They won't blame officials or umpires for a loss. And how often do you see that happening today? A lot. 
One of my favorite sayings is a great coach checks his or her ego at the door. They keep the competition in perspective. They're willing to work with the coach and the, with, with the coach and parents. They have the trust of their players and parents. They're adapt to change. They try to make the sports experience a positive one for everyone. And most importantly, they're good communicators, but even better listeners. Coaches play such a big role. Now, Blake, you mentioned earlier that this coach slapped you on the helmet. Was your, I would say was your slap da- is being... is being. So uh, he punched you? So uh, it was punch. definitely... Uh, it was pretty much somewhere in between. Way more than a slap, not not a closed fist punch. Is he still, is he still coaching? Yeah, somewhere. All right. So you mentioned your father was not at the game. Yes, my this was a game where my dad, who never hardly ever missed a game ever, my parents were were great supporters. My dad happened to be out of town during this game. Um, this was a this was a really big game for uh, for my high school, and and my dad was out of town. Had he been in town, I promise you there would have been an issue on the field either at that moment or after the game there would have been an issue because and and bless her heart my mom saw everything that happened the people that she was sitting with saw everything that happened a lot of people in the stands saw it and these these parents have come up and talked to me about it you know when it happened uh, after the game in the following weeks so let me ask you this question okay in a way probably it's better your dad wasn't there because the last thing you want to have is an altercation yeah so from your perspective as a player, all right, and I'm going to comment after you, you say what you're going to say here, but what if your dad had been there, what do you wish he, he what, what do you think he would have done and what would not have been good about that? Well, and this is hard because my parents were never the, the helicopter, hey, watch out for my kid, you know, that's my baby out there. You know, they knew I was going to handle myself because, you know, just like just like you and me, know, we know each other and you know, you know me as a person, you know, I'm always pretty... I always stick up for myself and I'm always pretty quick to say, Hey, that, that ain't right. Or, or I don't, we don't agree eye to eye. So they were never trying to, trying to stick up for me because they knew I was going to do it. So what would have probably happened would have been, my dad would have been yelling from the stands because the stands were actually pretty close to where we were. So you could hear. And then after the game, there would have, it, it wouldn't have become physical. It, it wouldn't have, it, it's not like that. Well, but, how do you know the coach wouldn't hit your dad? If he hit you, why oh, would he hit your dad? Trust me, he's he ain't that kind of guy. Well, well, but hold <laughs> he, on, hold on. And, and so that here, speaks here, to he, his character as far as he felt okay to do it to a kid. But I guarantee you, had my dad been in front of him, there's there'd been no way it's that not coach okay. would have okay. felt like that. It wasn't okay to do it to you. No, not at all. Okay, so here it, this goes back to what I just read about our in, in our book. Just let him play about a coach's role. It's about communication and it's about trust. So, you know, I've seen, you know, we've talked, I've talked about it on the show several years ago. There was an NFL game between the Packers and Seahawks, a playoff game. Got down towards the end. Seattle was behind. It was in Seattle. They did an onside kick. The Green Bay player is the third string tight end. The ball went through his hands, hit his helmet. Seattle recovered. He went mm-hmm. to the sideline, and the special teams coach ripped off his headset, went over and was screaming in this guy's face. Wanted, you could tell he wanted to grab him. And he got restrained by other players. This player is sitting there, his head's in his hands. I mean, he didn't do he didn't do that on purpose. Well, so so the coach, you know, and the game wasn't over, and this guy had to go out more play, play more plays. 
Yeah, he screwed up. Okay, but that happens. In my opinion, what that coach should have done is gone over there and, and, and you know, not that he'd be happy, but say, hey, what happened? Let's try not to do that next time. Let's, you know, get refocused, pat him on the back, say, let's get going. Fortunately for him, he had teammates can we're push this coach away and we're supporting him. You know, you can't – it's one thing to get upset – because you've made a boneheaded play. It's another thing to get degrading and negative about it. Well, and I'm always of the, you know, because I've had aspirations of actually getting into coaching. Uh, I still think about doing it sometimes because um, I love the game of football. I love sports in general, and I love the teaching aspect that comes with not only, like you said, being a mentor to kids, being a mentor to, to young men. So I think there's a time and a place to choose somebody out, and I actually was blessed to have coaches in college who um, – were, were not only outstanding coaches, but outstanding men. And they wanted to teach you and instill the fact that, that you guys were men. And so in practice, that's when you get most of your coaching out, and that's sometimes when you get your yelling out. In the game, I they were fortunate enough to say, hey, in the game, we can't do anything about it now. We can always yell at you on film. We can't really do anything about it in the game. They, there's, they might raise their voice a couple times here and there, but in the game is not always the best time to choose somebody out. Well... Good coaches to me are good communicators, but first and foremost are good listeners. So I think it's important as a coach to think about how you relate to your players. Like I said, in, in, in light of the fact that we've just completed Mental Health Awareness Week with all the issues that are going on, and, and, and today more, especially more than ever, because of the pandemic, because of the tension in our society, I think it's important for coaches to take a leadership role and at a practice, instead of practicing one day, have a group therapy session and talk with the kids about how they're feeling. How are you doing? How are you handling things? How are things at home? How, how, how is your life? I think showing that consideration for your kids that you're coaching will make a huge impact on them and it will show them how much you care and that you really want to help them. I think communicating with them but listening to them is going to be more important than ever. A good coach is a good psychologist. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. Hope you enjoy the show. Our shows are podcasted here at Sports Radio 810 WHB. They're on SoundCloud, Apple iTunes, and Spotify. Also on my website, winnersunlimited.com. If you want to reach me, several ways to get a hold of me. My website is, as I said, winnersunlimited.com. Send me an email at drj at winnersunlimited.com. You can get a hold of me on Twitter at, at DRJ Sports Psych or give me a call at my office at 816-561-5556. I work with athletes and teams all over the country now with telemedicine. Of course, you can do that. Love to hear from you. Hope you've enjoyed the show. Stay safe, communicate, and listen. Take care. You've been listening to the Sports Psychology Hour. For more information, go to winnersunlimited.com. I'm Dr. Andrew Jacobs. As a sports psychologist with 38 years of experience, I've worked with athletes, coaches, parents, and officials, assisting them at learning how to handle issues like sportsmanship, self-confidence, developing a positive realistic attitude, and achieving maximum performance. I want more people to know about the importance of having fun, learning from failure, and that winning is about doing your best. That's why I created the Sportsmanship Foundation, a 501c3 educational organization dedicated to promoting and educating parents and athletes about the role of good sportsmanship in our development. Our priority is to help bring back the fun into youth sports. 
If you're interested in learning more or making a donation, go to winnersunlimited.com slash radio. That's winnersunlimited.com slash radio. Doing your best, having fun, and becoming a winner. The Sportsmanship Foundation at winnersunlimited.com slash radio. Olivia from Washington. Laid off and trying to keep our little kids from realizing that mommy and daddy haven't eaten in a while. Roger from California. I'm grateful we could afford our son's surgery. I'm nervous that now we can't really afford food. Daniel from California. Choosing whether to pay the rent or pay to fix the car to get to work doesn't leave us with much at all. Now we can't even pay for meals. Donna from Louisiana. The storm just hit, and we went from donating to the food bank to needing it. Keisha from South Carolina. I've been skipping meals so my two kids can eat, but filling up on water doesn't really work. Hunger is a story we can end. End it at feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Hey, Dad, how do airplanes fly? What's in this box? Can I touch this? Where does sand come from? Is this tree good for climbing? What happens if I mix these two things together? How are babies made? What does this thing do? Kids are curious about everything, including guns. Talking to them about gun safety in your home is a good first step, but you can do more. Always keep your guns locked, unloaded, and stored separately from ammunition. Storing your guns securely is the best way to prevent family fire, including unintentional shootings. For more information on safe gun storage and ways to keep your family safe, visit endfamilyfire.org. That's endfamilyfire.org. What do we keep in the attic? What's this thing called? Can I ride my bike backwards? Like I said, kids are curious. It's up to us to keep them safe. Brought to you by End Family Fire, Brady, and the Ad Council.